Hey, murder lovers. My name is Mackenzie. And I'm Fatina. And you are listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. You guys know the drill. If you would leave us reviews and ratings on iTunes, we would greatly appreciate it. Make sure that you subscribe wherever you're listening. We're at that stage now where we're getting those reviews from people that we don't know, which is exciting. Awesome. I'm. Thank you so much, you guys, for the reviews and especially those five stars. We love it. Today is a continuation of my Mindhunter series. Ooh. I told you guys in Ed Kemper's episode that I was going to go in chronological order as they appear. For those of you who have seen the series but don't know, the guy that mysteriously appears at the beginning of all the episodes that they're not really addressing and they're leading up to it, that is BTK if you don't know. I am waiting to do his. I understand that he appears first, technically, because they show clips of him. Right. I am waiting to do him. One, because I hate him and I don't want to. And two, (laughs) I'm waiting to do him until they actually address his crimes. Right. Because at this point, they have not encountered him. Right. Everything is going to lead up to that. That is the whole point, is that you are following the detectives as they start building out the first serial killer profile based on the true story of John Douglas, who was the detective that did that. But all of that is going to lead up to him building it and applying it to BTK. That's what happens in real life. Right. So if you guys didn't know, the guy with the glasses that's super creepy at the beginning of some of these episodes and keeps choking himself out, that's we BTK. We will explain that. <laughs> but I am not going to do his until they address him and his crimes. Sounds good to Season me. Season three, probably. For the interview portion, that means that Monty Rissell comes next. I'm excited. Yeah. So Monty Rissell is one that I feel like gets skipped over a lot. In fact, I did a search for him just to see if other podcasters had done him. And I only found two other podcasts that I hadn't heard of before that had actually covered him. So I think he flies a little bit lower Hmm. on the radar. And that's true of like just research about him in general. So like I, when I started doing research on him, there's not a lot of information that's out there. In fact, when I pulled even the Wikipedia page, his date of birth isn't published anywhere. I can't actually find his specific date of birth. I can only find the year. And the information was so scarce that I had to go down into their references and use the reference links. Yeah. Which I don't think I've ever done before. And then still, there was a lot of things that were missing. So I had to dust off the old books and go like straight pre-Google. And nice. start using books to Google. Well, Mine Hunter takes place in the seventies. Is that correct? Early seventies. Yes, that sounds right. His crimes ended at like the early seventies, and they start interviewing him in prison. And he's one of the first people they interview. So okay. yeah, early seventies is when they start doing their profiling, and that's true in real life. Mine Hunter is based on the book Mindhunter, but written by John Douglas, which was a book that I used as a reference for this research. Also, Whoever Fights Monsters by Robert Ressler. Just want to cite our credit where deal. Absolutely. Also, we don't want to get sued. (laughs) (laughs) Please, dear God. (laughs) We can't afford it. So, Monty Russell, as we... God, my accent comes through so strong when I say things like as. I haven't noticed that. It comes, It's like out of nowhere. And I listen to you a lot. I know. <laughs> All of a sudden, the Midwest in me kicks in. I've never actually lived there, but it kicks in. As we see in the show, he comes in significantly younger than anybody else that Tench and 
Ford interview in the show. Oh, okay. That is done with intention because his story takes place over basically, I mean, the worst of the worst takes place over a five-year span. He's 19 years old by the time his life is basically shut. Yeah. Whoa. So he revs up zero to 60 in no time, which is part of the reason that he ends up on John Douglas's list in real life is because basically the question is, how does somebody this young ruin his life so quickly? A fair question. That is very young. Yes, very young. And he became violent and sexually violent at a very young age. It's just, yeah. So there was not a huge ramping up period for him. He got his feet under him for this very quickly, um, which is what puts him on the radar as far as being interviewed and starting out this profiling. Monty Rissell was born in 1956 in Wellington, Kansas. Like I said, we don't know his exact date of birth. I've looked everywhere to actually find his exact date of birth. I wonder if it was just because he's just from a small town or... The limitations of not knowing his exact date of birth means that when I talk about his age, it's going to be around this age, give or take maybe a year. So... The oldest he could have been when any of this happened is 18. Sure. But I will kind of go through that as we talk. So for the most part, he gives his own age as events happen. But then the rest of the sources that I found, it will vary as far as whether he was 17 or whether he was 18. So. Okay. So what year was he born? Uh, 1959. Okay. Yes. For those of us who are quick with math, who is not myself, that means that right now he is about 60 years old. Is? Is. He's alive and well. Holy shit. Now that the disclaimers are there that I don't know his exact date of birth, unless he had a birthday here in the first couple weeks of January, that means that he is now 60 years old. Got it. So he was an RH baby, which means that he had a blood disease that affects the protein in the red blood cells. You can... Educate me because I don't know. (laughs) I have thought the same thing. I did a little research on it, and what I found is that it is a blood disease, affects the red blood cells. Depending on how severe it is as far as the protein that you are missing or lacking, it can require treatments. In his case, his was very severe, and he required a full blood transfusion as a baby. Oh, wow. He underwent the treatment and was deemed healthy at that point. The doctor said there shouldn't be any long-term issues. But he was very small for his age, size. Age group, yeah. He remains small, though. So I guess, like, he's he's a small man. How small? Based on the pictures that I've seen of him being arrested, assuming the guys that are arresting him are of average height, anywhere from around six feet tall would be my guess, then sure. I would say he's probably about 5'6". Okay. Sir, can you stand next to Ed Kemper, please? <laughs> Just kidding. Honestly, he would be so tiny next <laughs> oh, to Ed <I> Kemper. <laughs> So he is slight in size. His parents, William Russell and Roberta Russell, they divorce when he is seven years old. He said he was often blamed for this. He said when anything went bad, he was blamed for it. So he felt like he was blamed for his parents divorcing. When his parents divorced, his dad actually took off and just left, was out of the picture. Gone, goodbye. We don't hear anything else out of him afterwards. Dad is now irrelevant as far as... His life goes. In his story. Right. He did have an older brother and an older sister, so he was the youngest of three kids. Okay. His siblings, because they were older, I don't know by how much. It sounds like the sister was about four years older than him. 
They were left unsupervised for long periods of times. Oh. The siblings used weed, alcohol, that kind of stuff, and started exposing him to it when he was seven years old. Yeah, because it's kids raising kids. Yeah. So he was partaking in it. Oh. Yeah. So it wasn't even like he was just around it. They were actually, like, giving it to him to use or drink wow. or whatever. Yeah. Mom got remarried, and she remarried a guy named Hank Hendry. Rissell disliked this new guy, seemingly because he moved them across the country. He yeah. moves them out to Sacramento. Either way, oh, he moves okay. them across so the country. Across. Yeah. And he's not happy about this, Rissell. He does not want to move to Sacramento. He doesn't want to be in California. He wants to stay where he's at. But stepdad packs him up and moves him out. According to him, stepdad is not a great parent. So Hank is one of those people that doesn't know really how to parent, didn't have kids of his own but inherited these kids that were all of i mean past the molding age if you will and so his solution to all of this was to basically try and buy their affection oh or buy their love but hank was also abusive great yeah in Mindhunter, there's a scene where he's having a conversation and tench says something to him and he goes i'm sorry what he's like i'm a little deaf in one ear and then he explains that his stepdad was violent or whatever, and he said, that's how I lost my hearing is because he beat me and it burst my eardrum. Oh, fuck. I have not found any evidence to actually corroborate that, so that might be just part of the dramatization of the show. Right. That being said, I don't think so. Right. It goes to show just abuse. Because the reason I don't think so is because his stepdad at one point bought him a BB gun. He was nine years old. He got into a fight with his cousin, and he shot his cousin with the BB gun. Oh, fuck. Right. A nine-year-old. Like, that was his solution to it. When Hank found out about it, he took the BB gun and smashed it and then used the barrel to beat him. (gasps) So the idea that he would actually hit him to the point of bursting his eardrum isn't entirely out of character for what's been described here. And it would be an interesting character flaw to give to somebody that's based on a true character mm-hmm. that is, like, a true character. Right. You wouldn't make him deaf in one ear if he wasn't. Right. So I tend to think that that's probably true. Right. At 12 years old, Russell committed his first offense, if you will. He broke into an apartment and stole $100. Shortly after this, Hank kind of gets fed up with dealing with everything, and things are getting really bad between Roberta and Hank, and they divorce. Rissell says that this is his fault, he's sure, or at least his and his sister's, um, that he's just put them through too much, and he kind of shoulders the blame for it in causing their divorce. Like, I feel weird feeling bad for him, because that's a shitty situation. We always feel bad for him. Remember how bad you felt for Ed Kemper? No. Just kidding. Yeah, I do. I just don't want to admit it. He spent the, it. All, the whole episode being like, oh. Fuck. Fucking bumble Why wouldn't his mom just introduce him to the girls? God damn it. So, yeah. Um, you're about to lose that sympathy very quickly. Yeah, great. Because remember, we escalate very fast yep, here. All right. Yeah. So that was his first offense when he was 12. And then at this point, the mom and stepdad get divorced. And at 14 years old, he commits his first rape. What? Now, at 14? Don't be fooled because all the articles will say that he committed his first rape at 14 years old. And you think that it's a singular one. That is not the case. Because when he's charged, he faces two charges Whoa. of rape plus 
charges of larceny, car theft, and burglary. Jesus. Yeah. 14. Wow. You want to know what I was doing at 14? (laughs) None of those things. (laughs) Depending on when his birthday was, he was at the end of eighth grade or freshman year of high school. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That is young for those crimes. I did some dumb things my freshman year of high school, but... But It wasn't that. Wasn't any of that. Wow. And I didn't know any 14-year-olds that were doing anything like that. So he pled guilty to the charges and was sentenced to an institution in a psych ward in Florida. To a psych ward? A psych ward, yeah. Okay. Not juvie? Nope, nope. He went to a psych ward. He said that that was on account of his mom. His mom somehow managed to negotiate this or arrange this. Oh, he's had a bad life, blah, blah, blah. Well, and psychiatrists agreed. So, and a psychiatrist that evaluated him said that he was a disturbed youth who was in desperate need of intensive therapy in a closed setting. That was his official recommendation. Right. So they found him redeemable. Right. But. Monty Russell is also very, very smart. We know that Ed Kemper was at least a 140, 160 on mm-hmm. the IQ scale. Monty Russell's a 120. So he's super smart as well. Yeah. Not Ed Kemper smart, but close. And he knew how to manipulate. So that's exactly what he did. He would right. sweet talk the staff. He'd make them think that he was on the right path. He was making all of these positive changes or whatever. During this time, while he's playing the staff, he's supposed to be supervised all the time but they leave him unsupervised periodically. Uh, And when he's left unsupervised, he'd sneak out. And when he snuck out, he'd attack different girls. (gasps) He wasn't just going out and smoking a joint. He Mm -hmm. What the fuck? In fact, he even raped a girl in the institution's parking lot. No. Yeah. So Right under their nose? Numbers are inconsistent, but I believe it was a total of five girls. I read both four and five, but... John Douglas and Robert Ressler both cited five, so I'm going to go with five. Those are the detectives who both actually interviewed him in real life. Mindhunter, the show, says four, but I think that that's wrong. Playing so. it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, playing it safe. He was released in 1975, so this would make him... Five, 15? Nine, 16. 16. 16. I've also read 17, again, based on his date of birth. So he's either 16, 17, depending on when he was actually born. Okay. Um, that's when he was released. The parameters of him being released are that he continued to undergo weekly treatment and therapy and several other things. But he's also in school. Shortly after this, he is, oh yeah, like two weeks after he's released in 1975, two or three weeks, he's arrested for holding up a woman at knife point in an elevator. What? And he is charged with attempted robbery because he says to her, this is a stick up. What they find out later is he actually intended to rape her, but because... I don't know if something stopped it from happening or whatever it may be, but it never got to the point. And because of the verbiage that he used, he was charged with attempted robbery. They end up charging him with the attempted robbery instead of actually attempted rape. I don't think she actually knew that that was what he was intending to do. And he ended up receiving a five-year suspended sentence for this. Suspended sentence. That's interesting. Yeah. And after this point, he drops out of T.C. Williams High School. He's 17 years old at this point. 
Now, T.C. Williams High School, for all of you who are movie watchers, you will recognize that name as the same football team from Remember the Titans. Oh. Yes, it is the same high school. Interesting connection. Yeah, so he was going to T.C. Williams High School, the same one where Denzel Washington was the coach of the football (laughs) team. Honestly, that's one of the best movies of time. It really is, Yeah. It's so good. So he drops out of that high school. At this point, we're rolling into 1976. Again, I don't know if his birthday has happened at this point. So he's either 17 or 18. And he's dating a girl who's gone off to college. She's a year older than him. He's still receiving counseling at this point. He's going to weekly counseling to help him with his sexual deviancies. But again, he's a master manipulator. So she sends, the girlfriend sends him a letter that basically ends the relationship. She's like, I'm at college now. There's all these guys here. I want to explore the field. Yeah. I just want to date, like, do me type thing. Well, he gets pissed. Of course. So on August 14th, or I'm sorry, August 4th, he drives up to her college. He has a gun in the car with him. Uh oh. And he says he needs to see it for himself. And he says that he gets there. I don't know how big of a college campus this is, but he gets there and he does see her with another guy. Oh, fuck. So he finds her quick oh. and witnesses her like actually with somebody, which, like, what are the chances of that? I don't know how big this college campus was, but. He must have timed that, like, perfectly. Everything I'm about to tell you happens within the same day. Oh, okay. So it wasn't like he was just, like, hanging out there for the weekend. He sees her and sees everything that basically he needs to confirm that what she's saying is true and that she's moved on or whatever. He does nothing. He drives back home to his apartment. So even though he's taken the gun with him, he decides not to use it, and he drives home. Picks up some beer. He has some weed on him. And so he gets home to his apartment and he just sits in the parking lot for hours ruminating on this. So he gets high. He's drinking his alcoholic beverages. And so he just gets loaded, basically. Right. He's just thinking this over and over. Yeah. And he's just processing it. Yeah. Boiling. Exactly. So he's sitting in his apartment complex parking lot at approximately 2 a.m., when another car pulls into the parking lot and out of that car gets Aura Marina Gabber. She is a sex worker who's about 26 years old. Okay. Mind you, I'm telling you that she is a sex worker because this is going to come into play based on how she acts, not how he acts. He okay. does not know what she does for oh, her profession. Okay. So if you're thinking that he targeted her because of her work, you would be incorrect. He has no idea at this point what she does. So she gets out of the car, and he sees her and zeroes in on her. So he gets out of his car. He has the gun still. He pulls the gun on her and basically takes her hostage and proceeds to take her off into a wooded area to rape her. Oh, God. The reason that I tell you that she is a sex worker, because this is her job, she is less inclined to be fearful of having sex with strangers Hmm. And also because she would have a good sense of survival skills or good survival instincts. Okay. So in her efforts to actually de-escalate the situation, she makes it seem like she is either allowing it to happen or she's enjoying it. Okay. So potentially she does this so he won't feel – what I think, this is my analysis of it, Mm -hmm. is that she's doing this so he doesn't feel like there's a risk of her turning him in. Right. 
because then it's like, okay, well, this isn't rape. It's consensual. So she has nothing to report me on type mm -hmm. thing. But basically what she does is she hikes up her skirt and asks him how he wants it or like what position he wants it in or whatever. She also, according to what I've read, fakes having multiple orgasms. He gets pissed because, what? yeah, he gets mad. So this is what makes him mad. It's not the fact that she's playing along and that she's right so what he says and please understand that this is a direct quote from him this is not my words i'm not putting anyone down do not come for me he says this angered him because quote it's like this bitch is trying to control things so he felt like she was taking the control away from him right not only that but this is just not what he wanted. It wasn't about the sex, and she made it about the sex. It was about the power and control. And with her taking that away from him, it triggered something. Of course it did. When he went into this situation, remember, everything that he's done up to this point has just been... On his terms. The rape. His timing, whatever, yeah. This is what flips the switch. She sees an opportunity to take off after he's done raping her, and she takes off running. Good for her. Oh, don't but, look at me like that. I'm sorry. <laughs> but at this point, he is tired of her calling the shots and deciding when things are going to be done and everything like that. So he chases after her. He says that she is stronger, but he is faster. So he catches up with her, puts her in a headlock. They go tumbling down a ravine. And at the bottom of the ravine, he takes a rock and smashes it into oh. her head. She's still alive at this point, but there's a creek that runs nearby. He takes her over to that and drowns no. her in the creek. But it's the fact that she took the control away from him there's that ended up getting her killed. How do you even begin to know? Like, what's going to yeah. work? What's going to work for you to Honestly. walk away? Because are, are you dealing with somebody that's driven sexually or are you dealing with somebody that's driven by power, power. and control? That's awful because as you were telling me this, I'm like, holy shit, that is really smart and to it didn't play work. along, even fake the orgasms because mm -hmm. you're thinking, you know, yeah. basically that's the point of sex. Yeah. And, and that's eliminate not what he wants. God yeah, damn it. Eliminate whatever he might be fearful of getting caught for. Right. And she's like, no, 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 it was consensual. Look at all all these things that I did to prove to you that it was consensual, so I can't report you. I can't turn you in. Right. And it wasn't. That's not what it was about. Fuck. There's no winning. Right. So, I mean, see. good for her for trying. Fucking sucks that it did not work out. Well, and according to John Douglas's analysis of him and other instances that are going to come up that we're going to address... By her acting like this and acting like she enjoyed it, it actually dehumanized her and depersonalized the situation for Monty Russell, where he no longer saw her as a person. He saw her as a whore. So it allowed him to disconnect Fuck from her. Him. And yeah, so it allows him to disconnect from her and see her reinforces this idea that women are only good for sex. Oh. So he no longer feels remorse or guilt about killing her. Fuck. Because he can remove the human element from it. Ugh. Then on March of 1977, nine months later, Russell kidnapped Ursula Miltenberger. She's 22. Again, he holds her at gunpoint near his apartment complex. This is his safe space. Like, the apartment complex right. is where he operates out of. He raped her and then stabbed her to death after she what? wouldn't stop asking him questions. What? 
Yeah. So he got irritated with her because she kept like hounding him, like, why are you doing this? Oh. Like, why? What's wrong? Blah, blah, blah. Why don't you have a girlfriend? Was one thing that he she asked him or whatever. Did they know each other? No. But she kept asking him sure. questions and he got irritated with her. And then again, she tried to run away. That was just her response. Yeah. yeah. So he, she tried to run away. And he ends up stabbing her and killing her. He then drives around in her car for several hours before dumping her body in the woods in Fairfax, Virginia. He stole their jewelry, but he'd also drive their cars around. And the cars were almost like living out the fantasy a little longer. It allowed him to kind of like live in it, if you will. Ugh. Fester in it. That's disgusting. Yeah. It's Ew. very weird. Ew. His next victim was never identified. The timing's also unknown. But this is important because this clears up the whole humanizing thing. Okay. I don't know how far along he got in the process because, again, we don't have a victim that's ever come forward. We don't know what has ever actually happened here. But by his accounts, he had kidnapped her. I don't know if he ever actually got to the point where he raped her or anything like that. Mm. But he had decided that he was going to kill her until she starts crying and he says for no reason, but I'm like, I can think of like a hundred. But <laughs> yeah, what? He says she starts suddenly crying and tells him that her dad has cancer. He relates to this because his brother had cancer. Oh. And suddenly he feels a connection to her. She becomes human to him. And so with this human connection, it personalizes the experience for him and he lets her go. Wow. Now, in the show, what you see is him saying that there's an interesting feeling in showing somebody mercy like this. He likes that. Tench gets pissed, and he was like, are you Ugh. kidding me? Showing somebody mercy? But to him, that's how he sees it. He's like, I have done her this favor of allowing her to live. And he's like, cancer's a bitch. Like, I get it. It changes a person. It's, you know, the family's so impacted by it, blah, blah, blah. What? And he, it's like he's playing God with deciding who lives, who dies. And at this point, he's decided, like, this is a real person who's gone through enough shit in her life. I will give you the gift of life and let you continue to live. Total narcissist. But killing here. someone and affecting a whole family that way. That's fine. Go. He can go fuck himself. <laughs> wow. Yeah. His his logic is very interesting to me. But she he does actually let her go. In April of 1977, he finds 27-year-old Gladys Ross Bradley again at the same apartment complex. He waits outside of her apartment with a knife from his mom's kitchen. So this is interesting because he at this point has grown confident. It used to be that he was kind of sitting out in the parking lot and waiting as right. things kind of approached him or opportunities arose. And that was true of even the time that he was a kid. Like, he'd wait outside in the parking lot. And mm -hmm. I'll talk about that here in a little bit. A little bit more. We'll go back to it. I just promise there's a method for my madness. Okay. But <laughs> this time, like, his confidence has increased. So he actually waits for her to exit the apartment. So he seeks her out rather than waiting for her to cross a his path. Person. Yes. And interestingly enough, he is a serial killer that doesn't have a, a type. Really? Like the ethnicity varied, the age varied, the look varied. So there wasn't any consistency there. He Other was, than gender. Yeah. He was a random killer of opportunity. So that's, that's what scary. That's where this escalation becomes so obvious because he waits outside of her apartment, whereas he had never actually 
put himself in that situation where he sought someone out. He waited for whoever it was to pass by him. So, yeah, he targeted her. Yeah. Okay. Which was different than what he had ever done before. He waited outside of her apartment with that kitchen knife. He raped her twice. He dragged her by her feet to a nearby creek and drowned her. What? It's, yeah, it's a little bizarre. And I... It's weird because he goes from having this gun and... Yeah, he never uses it. Right, okay, so then he has this knife that is potentially a weapon for a very personal attack. Right. And he stabs some of his victims. Right. But other ones he drowns and never uses the gun. Which, drowning is very personal, too. Yeah. And not fast. Well, and as we know from Ed Kemper, stabbing takes a long time. Right. Takes a while for people to bleed out. And I believe this victim was actually found tied up, and that's how he managed to drag her by her feet, because you'd think she'd just be kicking and screaming. But she was tied up, and when she was found, she was still tied. Wow. So, yeah, he's very... He's sporadic. A, he's sporadic, yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's... What did they call him? Disor- a disorganized killer or something like that? Oh, I bet. So... While most of serial killers show consistency, they show a pattern, they show their type, Mm -hmm. as well as how they do things, he's not that way. I don't know why. She was found on April 29th. Some time had passed, but it's all within the same month. Right. It's all within April. But before she could be found, another woman went missing. And this time it was 34-year-old Aletha Bird. I think that's how her name is pronounced. I'm so sorry if I get this wrong. But I believe it's Aletha Bird. She was reported missing on April 10th. She's the only one that I wasn't able to confirm was actually raped. Hmm. Every account that I found is that she was found with multiple stab wounds on May 17th in a wooded area. Nothing regarding any type of sexual assault. So I'm not sure, but it would be very unlike him. To not. Right. By all accounts, it sounds like after he got the taste of murder and being able to get away with it, mm-hmm. it became the two kind of coincided at that point. So my understanding from based on what I've read is that he went into the first three victims intending to rape them and deciding while he was raping them or immediately after that he was going to kill them. Mm-hmm. And then with the final two... He made the conscious decision even before the rape occurred that he was going to rape and kill them. Once he got comfortable with the process and knew that he could get away with it, it became part of it for him right. versus like the two. It wasn't a scattered thought at the end. Like, right. oh, what am I going to do? Leave this, let this person go. Before it was like, like no, I'm going to kill them. She pissed me off or she's trying to get away and she's trying to do that. And this is my solution to that versus like, oh, no, this is this is part of the enjoyment now. And that's an interesting escalation. During this time, Detective John Turner was living in Alexandria, and he knew Rissell from his 1973 robbery where he held up that woman in the elevator that was actually an attempted rape but ended up being charged with the attempted robbery. He was the detective that was working during that time, so he knew him, also knew Rissell's mom and everything like that. So when these stories started coming out, he said that he developed a gut feeling as early as Aura being targeted, the first victim, the the sex worker. Yes. He said that he developed this gut feeling that Rissell was behind it because it happened in the same neighborhood as the robbery had. And he knew that it was actually supposed to be an attempted rape. And he also knew that Rissell lived nearby. 
You started so, connecting the dots. Yeah, exactly. Her car was also found parked on a street not far from Russell's house. So it put this all within a triangle. In fact, he said he even mapped it out at one point and had all of the dots connecting. Wow. Old school style. Investigators also found similarities between the first and second murder. So they thought that the two were probably connected, but hadn't yet developed that real chain of like all of these are associated. Mm -hmm. They thought that he was incarcerated for the third one. So there was no way that he was behind it because of that delayed sentencing or whatever. They thought that he was locked up. But I also read a story that said that he was actually institutionalized during this process as part of that delayed sentencing or whatever. Mm -hmm. And these were occurring when he was sneaking out. But I actually oh. don't know that for a fact. It's just a possibility. That would make sense because that would give him alibis. Except that he was living in the apartments. Oh. That's where he was picking up all of his victims was in his own apartment so complex. So he did have an address. Yeah. So I don't really know. Hmm. But they were under the impression that he was incarcerated. And maybe they thought that because they didn't realize that it was a... right delayed sentencing or whatever it was they at that point they recruited a psychiatrist to build out a profile nice. for the killer so again this is a relatively new concept that hadn't really been mm -hmm. perfected yet but when the profile was presented to the detective john turner he said quote i looked at the profile and i could have stamped monty Russell on it wow he said it described him to a t that's fantastic yeah. So once they got that profile um, based on the four victim, they put Rissell under surveillance. So they said that they went as far as lying in creeks and putting up roadblocks oh, to try shit. and stop him. That's awesome. Yeah. But obviously not before a fifth victim uh. had occurred. It was based on this that they ended up actually searching his car. Now, I don't know exactly how search warrants worked back then or anything like that. But they searched the car based off of Detective Turner's instinct rather than any actual evidence. Mm -hmm. But it was based off of this search that they actually found Aletha Bird's wallet, keys, and comb in his car. Whoa. Yeah. At that point, they were able to actually get his fingerprints off of Ursula Miltenberger's car because he'd driven her car around for how many that's hours. Right. And that's when they took him into custody. Wow. Yeah. So it was based off of those things that he was nailed for it. And he actually ended up confessing to all five murders. Oh, good. His plea bargain entailed him pleading guilty to all the murder charges. And the DA actually agreed to drop the rape and abduction charges, which I'm not thrilled about. Um, yeah. But it ends up working out because he is sentenced to five life terms to be served consecutively. Oh, good. A couple years after he had been arrested and sentenced, he ends up confessing to rapes that he'd never been caught for. And oh. this is where we find out that when he was institutionalized, he was sneaking out and raping women, including the girl in the parking lot that he raped. It's all things that he confessed to after the fact. Right. But charges were never brought up on them. He says... Son of a bitch. Right. So they said that he raped anywhere from 12 women oh. altogether. That's a lot. Probably more. Wow. Yeah. And that he used to, when he was younger, he would attack girls in his in the parking lot of his mom's apartment where they lived. What? Which is why he fixated on his own parking lot at his apartment, because that's how it all started. He knew the yeah. way out. Yep. 
And then he said that at a youth facility one time, he actually kidnapped a woman in a parking lot and made her drive to her apartment, and he raped her at her apartment. Wow. That's fucking bold. And he drove out of state also looking for victims. So there's potential that there are a lot more victims out there. Again, this is the 70s. Rape charges were not a great thing back then. Bringing somebody up on rape charges, it was was not easy. Definitely a different time. A lot harder for women. So what exactly might have been missed there along the way? Who actually knows? That's terrifying. So he was sentenced to five consecutive life sentences on October 11th of 1977. He was between 18 and 19 years old at this time. Wow. He was found at this point to have a psychological disassociation and denial indicating multiple personality disorder. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Right. Right. Because um, he's so smart, he could be just giving yeah. the results that he knows that would get him that. Well, and psychiatry has improved in changed over the years so who knows actually how that would be diagnosed right in today's standards but that was also at the point where they found out his iq was 120 shortly after he'd been locked up he actually wrote and released a 461 page manuscript detailing the murders what yeah gross yeah and i think he sent it out to like major newspapers and stuff like unabomber style type thing pass trying to get it published hard pass yeah circular file but you know right what? Away. If he would put his freaking date of birth in there, then maybe I'd be able no to actually <laughs> down his real ages here. And then in his interview with John Douglas, again the mine hunter guy, he stated that if he had been allowed to stay, been allowed to stay with his dad after the divorce, he really doesn't think that this is how his life would have turned ah, out. Bullshit. He thought that he would actually have gone to law school and been a lawyer if he'd stayed with his dad. Bullshit. I'm like, how? Yeah, no. But. Same ex- same interviews or whatever. He also said that from a young age, he had really dark, deviant sexual fantasies. That is so weird. There had to <laughs> there had to have been other things that were happening that we just don't know. Of course, I don't think that this all started with the stepdad just beating the hell out of him. Right. I thought I think there's probably other things there that we don't really know. John Douglas and the FBI have said that he was instrumental in developing their theory on stressors based off of what had happened with the girlfriend, that there was a moment that basically caused a stressor or a trigger that escalated his behavior. Um, sorry. <laughs> I mean, yes. Yeah. Uh, I guess it did happen the same day, and that's when he got his first taste of murder. Right. So not necessarily that the stressor is what causes the behavior, but the stressor might escalate the behavior. So he went from being a serial rapist to then rape and murder. that's right, because he had raped a shit ton before that. So he's instrumental in them developing this theory, um, but also based off of the information that he gave as about the sexual fantasies coming from him being a kid. And they had also received the same information about that from Ed Kemper right before. It kind of solidified this theory that this was a common trait among sexual offenders. That there's always serial sexual offenders. That there's always some type of sexual fantasy that goes along with it. They also said that he did not seem remorseful in any way, but he did seem honest. So while he didn't really apologize for anything or seem to feel bad about anything, the only time that he ever showed any type of like remorse or empathy, if you will, is regarding the the girl that had the dad with cancer. 
So that was the only time that he really seemed to show any like type of human element or any type of empathy with the situation. Everything else was just very matter of fact. And even that, they said the only thing that he really showed any emotion towards was that he was the victim of his circumstances. He was the victim of his childhood. He was the victim in all of these different scenarios. And then he was the one that granted this girl so much mercy or whatever. So it was very all like self-focused. Sure. He has been eligible for parole every November since 1995. He has been denied. Excuse me? Yeah. Oh. He's been denied every single time. The victim's families all rally and they How make the fuck sure. is he eligible for parole on five life sentences? Well, it's not five life sentences without the possibility of right. parole. It's with so the with poss- the possibility of parole? Yeah. You're joking. Nope. Oh, fuck. He is serving out his sentence at the Pocahontas State Correctional Center. It is a medium security prison in Virginia. Medium? Yeah. Because he's, as most of these guys are, well-behaved. Reformed. Not even I'm reformed. I'm using air quotes, guys. <laughs> he's not even reformed. It's that he's well-behaved. Ed Kemper is well-behaved. a model prisoner, but right. he's not reformed. He'll tell you that. But. A medium Yeah, security. medium security. That is beyond nuts i also read an article that says that he was allowed to get married in 2017 based gross, on good behavior gross who are you who the i want a name fuck married him i read an article that said that i again i haven't found anything that actually corroborates that but i can't even find his freaking date of birth let alone his wife's name i'm assuming it's correct but excuse me sir you need your date of birth for your marriage certificate so it's out <laughs> what there the somewhere. fuck did you use i know it's out there somewhere. isn't that public record yeah it is let's find it i mean <laughs> she probably has some type of protection or something but what I, the you have to be wrong the dumbest female ever with her i don't know i have no patience for women like that oh god these are the same chicks that think joe goldberg and you is romantic no yeah it's no not okay I just wanted to shout out really quick that he is played by the actor Sam Strike in the show Mindhunter. Sam Strike does a phenomenal job as him. So I just wanted to mention that really quick. Um, But that is ultimately the story of Monty Rissell. Wow. Yeah. So I think he's important because... And again, this is based off of the FBI's conclusion is there's a lot of information that comes from his interviews that helps shape serial killer profiling. So I think he gets... As small as it may be, like the stressors thing. It's a part of it. There's a lot of information from his story that's missing. I understand that. It's frustrating. It was frustrating for me trying to research it. You should have seen me with everything spread out on a table trying to figure out. Should have taken a picture of that. I did. (laughs) Okay. I got it. Um, Trying to figure out all of the, like, fill in these holes and everything like that. And I think there are a lot of holes that need to be filled in. However, the information that he does provide and that we do know is valuable because we see such a dramatic escalation over such a short period of time before he's even fully through puberty. That's crazy. It's crazy. The fact so that much happened. He literally his life was basically over by the time he was 19 years old and the majority of his violent crimes happened within 5 years. 14 to 19. Wow. How does how does it go so wrong so fast? Yeah, I'd like to know just as much as there was that stressor, you know, in his 17, 18-year-old mm-hmm. life. 
what set him off to have such aggressive sexual encounters with people at such a young age? I have no idea. And that's why I think there are things that are missing. Um, Because was it, I don't want to assume anything. And like you said, there's a lot of gaps, but was it sexual assault on himself? Did he see this happening to someone else? Did he see his mom get abused? Well, and there's a lot of theories about graphic pornographic images playing a role, but and not saying it's impossible for it to come by at that point. Especially if you had older siblings. Right. But it would have been a lot harder without the day and age of internet. Right. So still images is one thing. Doesn't mean that it's impossible to find. What's interesting to me is that if he hadn't started murdering people, would he have been able to get away with it longer? Oh, absolutely. I think so, 100% too. Oh, yeah. Like you said, rape wasn't... He'd gotten um, away with it for how many years? And not believed, yeah. but... But also not, not believed. believed. Right. If a sex worker had come forward and say she'd been raped in the 70s, no right. way. Right. No way. They would just dismissed her. Yeah. And the same thing with, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think that women would have been heard or believed or a lot of women maybe wouldn't have come forward because of the shame. Well, and I think that's what happened here is the, the you have so much, so much time where, like... Even if it was being reported, it wasn't really going anywhere. And I'm wondering if there were, if it was even being reported at that point. Oh, I bet it wasn't. And a lot of the victims I found were women that were separated from their husbands or divorced from their husbands or something like that. So there also would have been that added layer of like, if you're separated from your husband or if you are married, you wouldn't want your husband to find out about it. Right. During that time. Right. That's so, stigma of having. Yeah. That's absolutely just terrifying. Right. That he got away with it for so long. Yep. But then also did so much in so little time. So little time. Wow. Well. But our next one, I'm spacing these out. Like I said, I'm not doing them all at once. So our next one will probably come in February. I am almost as excited about this guy as I was at Kemper. That's going to be Jeremy Brutos, who's the shoe fetish killer from Oregon. Oh, shit. I did not know he was from Oregon. Yep. He spent time in Oregon State Penitentiary. So I I just got flashbacks of the show. Yeah. The shoe scene. Yep. (laughs) Um, I'm super excited about that one. So that will be the next Mindhunter guy that I cover. So be on the lookout for that. Um, But that's all I got for that guy. Yeah, you're welcome. In the meantime, what you guys can do is you can head over, subscribe, obviously, but you can head over to our Instagram page at a stranger danger podcast and like our shit and follow us and do all of those things. You can email us questions, suggestions, comments, ideas, concerns at a stranger danger podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Stranger Danger colon a true crime podcast and you can find us on Twitter SD True Crime Pod. Thanks again for listening. We appreciate all of you murder lovers. Yeah. Bye. Bye.